You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Amen. Thank you, Angela. Well, grab your Bibles. Look with me to the book of Judges. It's Old Testament, about six, um, seven, eight books in. You'll come to the book of Judges. This morning, we're continuing on in our series. We've been talking about living out your destiny and how God's given each of us a unique destiny. Uh, however, there's, there's the challenges along the way. There's the pitfalls, the obstacles that can keep us from our destiny. In this series, we define destiny as this. It's God's unique and preferred plan for your life. And what I'm confident of and what God has revealed in His Word is that you were born uh, on purpose and for a purpose. In other words, God has a plan for your life. We did this last Sunday, but let's do it again this morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're not an accident. Go ahead and tell them. You're not an accident. There's no accident. Well, you were born on purpose, for a purpose. God has great plans, great future, a great destiny in your life. As I said last week, destiny is not so much discovered in pursuing destiny as destiny is discovered in pursuing God. Someone gave me this summary after the message last Sunday that I believe is spot on. They said, focus all your attention on knowing God and pursuing God and destiny will follow. That's a good summary. In other words, as we set our hearts to seek and know God, He'll guide us and direct our lives, working for our good, to bring us to the fulfillment of His plans for our lives. Where is it found? In pursuit of God. But again, as I mentioned, along the way there's obstacles, there's pitfalls, there's things that can distract us, things that can get us off track. Oftentimes then, individuals individuals never experience the fullness of the destiny that God has for them. Because they didn't address the pitfalls, the obstacles. One One of my friends, Pastor Wayne Cadero, wrote these words in his book, uh, the book's called The Dream Releaser. I want to read a couple paragraphs, so just bear with me for a moment. Because he says this so well. He says, The richest spot on the face of the earth cannot be found in the diamond mines of South Africa or the Inca gold mines of Ecuador. It's not in the oil fields of Saudi Arabia or the uranium excavations of the Balkans. Neither is it in the mineral deposits of the Dead Sea. No, the richest plot of land on this planet is in your own very neighborhood. You might have even passed it this morning. It's the cemetery. That's right. The graveyard is the wealthiest place in all of creation. Beneath those rectangular pieces of sod lie countless unsung melodies and unwritten poems. The grassy plots overflow with brilliant ideas that could have transformed entire communities, rehabilitated the lost, and borne hope for the weary. Our burial grounds reek with unattained success an unrealized destiny. He goes on to write, Sometimes I walk through the graveyards and I speculate how many unfilled promises and untapped dreams lie dormant under my feet. I ponder the the many lives that fell short of God's intended purpose. Will you add to the wealth of the graveyard? Well, hopefully you won't. Hopefully you won't, and hopefully that won't be the story of your life. And God has filled every one of us with a treasure that this generation desperately needs. And that fortune is wrapped up inside of you. And the question is, will the graveyard inherit your wealth? Will you rob this generation of your destiny? Will you deprive this generation and the next by taking that God-given treasure inside of you to the cemetery? 
Then as long as breath remains in our lungs, untapped potential lies inside of us waiting to be released. And the reason that you're still alive today is because God's not finished with your life yet. So if there's air in your lungs and your heart's still beating, and hopefully it is, if not, we've got a bigger problem. If there's air in your lungs and your heart's still beating, then this is what I want, would want you to know. God's not finished with you yet. When he's finished with you, you'll no longer be here. Okay? You'll cease to exist. That's when we'll know he's finished. But until then, listen, he has destiny for your life. Don't come to a season of your life, for those who are in the room today who may be um, a little more experienced in life, I'll say it that way, a little more experienced in life, don't come to the place in your life where you say, well, I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and watch this thing happen. In other words, I'm just going to kick back and retire. And listen, I'm all for retirement, but just because you've come to an age of retirement doesn't mean that God's destiny is up on your life. If there's air in your lungs and your heart's still beating, God's not finished with you yet. So what is that destiny? What is it that God's working out in your life and through your life? And in this series, we're talking about these, these obstacles, these pitfalls. The second week of the series, we talked about the challenge of discouragement. The process of life, we can get overwhelmed. We feel like everyone's against us and just get discouraged and quit. We, we, we quit the game and we go to the sidelines and say, I'm, I'm not going to play anymore because I'm discouraged. But then you know individuals who's quit on life, don't you? I mean, I know individuals who's quit on life. These guys, it's too hard. Too hard. So they just quit. But discouragement took them to the sidelines and discouragement's taken them out of the game. We, we learn from the Apostle Paul. What do we have to do? We have to press in and press on. Last week we talked about the challenge of detours and that destiny seldom happens overnight. In other words, there's no such thing as instant destiny. There's usually always some detours along the way. We looked at Joseph's life. I mean, 13 years of detours, some hardships, some difficulty. And get this, God was in the middle of all of it. All of it. And the detours. But again, if we're not careful in the detours and the time delays of life, oftentimes individuals bail on destiny. And I guess God's not going to work in my life. And they quit. It was 13 years for Joseph. And destiny, this is what we discover from Joseph's life. God's at work for our good, even if we can't always see it. Man, what do we have to do? We have to stay focused in our pursuit of God. Well, today we want to talk about a third obstacle that we need to be aware of, and it's the obstacle of self-deception. Self-deception. Now, as we think of deception, obviously we're aware of the fact that we have an adversary, right? We have an adversary. I mean, Scripture actually calls him the deceiver, the one who deceives us. We have a deceiver. We have one who wants to, like, limit our lives, restrict our lives, and then of God's work in our lives. Matter of fact, Peter says it like this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Be self-controlled and alert, because your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. We see it playing out in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. I mean, right in the beginning. But the, the adversary comes disguised as a serpent. What does he do? He deceives... Eve and Adam, and brings them to a point of failure. Praise God, our God is a God who redeems. Amen? 
He redeems in our failure. And we see that playing out. But we have the deceiver coming. So there's this illustration. So the, so the reality is, is we do have a deceiver. But possibly, possibly the greater challenge in your life is not the fact that you have a deceiver, but the greater challenge in your life is that you can be self-deceived. In other words, you can be at a place in your life where you don't see the issues of your own life. You're living self-deceived rather than self-aware. And when we're self-deceived, oftentimes we have blind spots that we don't see in our lives. And it's those things that continue to trip us up. We want to blame it on the devil or we want to blame it on our parents or we want to blame it on the boss or we want to blame it on someone else. And it's not someone else. You're the problem. And guess what? Wherever you're at, that's where you're at. So the problem's always with you. The problem of self-deception. We see this playing out in the life of Samson. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, I don't have time today. I have about 20 minutes, actually 18 minutes left. And I've got to cover the whole of Samson's story, which is not possible. Chapter, Judges chapter 13 to chapter 16. I encourage you to read the whole story. Go home today. Spend some time. It's one of the saddest stories in all Scripture. Want to read a sad story? It's a sad story. But how many of you believe we can learn from a bad example? Not just a, I believe you can learn from a good example. Praise God, I have some good examples. I have some mentors in my life. But I don't, believe, I don't believe I have to have a good example to learn some life lessons. I think I can learn some life lessons from bad examples and say, I don't want to do what he did. I don't want to follow in his foot. We're going to learn from a bad example this morning in the life of Samson. So let me give you just a, a bit of history. I don't want to just assume that we all understand what's happening here. The book of Judges covers the time period of 350 years in the history of the nation of Israel. So from the, from the end of Joshua's life, it was Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. From the end of Joshua's life... Until we have the installment of the first king of Israel being King Saul, we have 350 years, and the book of Judges covers this time period. And basically, here's the summary of the book of Judges. You can read the whole book, but this is what you'll find. The children of Israel continue to rebel against God and turn, again, turn away from God. And so God would send a judge, a deliverer, to free them from uh, an oppressive a situation, so there would be other people groups that God would use to kind of get their attention to say, hey, wake up, you need to come back to right relationship with God. Well, we see that happen again and again. Actually, the book of Judges is a story about 13 different judges, 13 different deliverers that God raised up to bring freedom for his people because he had to bring oppression to get their attention. You find this phrase in the book of Judges, this recurring phrase, and everyone did what he thought was right in his own eyes. In other words, everybody did their own thing, and what did it do? It created a mess. And so we have this mess that's playing out in the nation of Israel as we come to the life of Samson. So let's begin with his story, the first part of his story. We want to start at the beginning. Judges chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So again, the recurring pattern. They rebelled against God. They turned away from God. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So God says, I'm going to get your attention. So he brings in this, this oppressive people, the Philistines, to um, bring, bring them back to repentance. Verse 2, a certain man 
of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So here's the story of Samson. He was miraculously born. Mom's name's not mentioned, but she was barren. She had not conceived and could not conceive. And God brings about this, this supernatural uh, birth of Samson. And we see here that God says, hey, I've got a destiny for him. He's going to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was basically this. It was individuals who devoted themselves um, to that of God's work. And with that, nobody would not eat anything unclean, no wine, no grapes, no fermented drink. They wouldn't cut their hair. That was all a part of the Nazarite vow. And so that's Samson. So we see from the very beginning that God has some pretty big plans for Samson. He has great destiny for him. And one of the blessings that God gave to Samson was like superpower strength, maybe a bit like Superman, if you can think of it like that. He's known as the Hercules of the Old Testament. And as you read his story, what you'll discover is scenario after scenario where the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he did like these supernatural things, like he had this superhuman strength that God would empower him to kind of carry out these feats that, you know, we would look at that and say, well, that's humanly impossible. Yet God gave Samson the ability to carry out um, these, as I see it, superhuman acts. But what began well for Samson didn't end so well. His, his life was marked by failure, poor choices, and presumptuous behavior. And all of that cost him. If you jump to the end, end of his life, and we're going to jump to chapter 16. So from chapter 13, if you, if you would look with me to, to chapter 16, I think it's verse 20. Judges 16, verse 20. It says that Samson woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Get this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Wow. The Spirit of the Lord had left him. And Samson had no idea. He wasn't even aware. As a result of his own choosing, his disregard for God, he was left on his own. His self-deception brought him to a crisis and now... As we come to this point of the story, he's a slave, he's a prisoner of the Philistines. But what happened between Judges 13 when a boy was born with great destiny and chapter 16 is a sad story of human failure. As I said earlier, Samson was not self-aware, he was self-deceived. He was his own worst enemy. He created most of his problems all by himself. Why? He was self-deceived. So, so let's look a little deeper in Samson's story and see what we can learn from a bad example. Three things this morning I want to pull out from his story. The first is this. Samson was deceived by self-interest. I mean, he made some poor decisions because his focus was on what he wanted rather than what God had for him. And his poor decisions caused him. So let's look to his chapter 14. Now, Samson has become um, a, a grown man now. 
He's kind of grown through those middle school years, those high school years. And as we come to chapter 14, the scripture says that Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Notice what his father and mother say. Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she's the right one. And Samson was deceived by self-interest, what he wanted. Now, this would have been in direct violation to God's direction. So basically God's saying, I want you to go this way, and Samson's saying, no, I'm going to go my own way. I know you would never do that, but Samson did. Because God's law, if you look back, God's law, God was pretty clear about this. He says, don't go to other people groups and intermarry. Don't go to the pagans and find a husband or a wife Because what's going to happen is they have different values and they worship other gods. And when you intermarry, you're going to be influenced by their values. And sooner or later, you're probably going to start worshiping their gods. You're going to turn away from the one who brought you into the promise. And you're going to turn away from the one true God. Here's Samson basically saying, I don't care what God has to say. This is what I want. Not only that, his parents, I mean, here's his parents who, who are trying to give him some wise counsel saying, you know, is, is there not someone among our own people? Do you have to go to the uncircumcised Philistine? Basically, this is what his parents were saying. Do you have to go to a people who are not in covenant relationship with their God? Again, Samson was deceived by self-interest, what he what he wanted and, and what he demanded. And so he finds himself moving toward a relationship with someone that would have uh, only created challenge in his life and for his life. You know, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the same, the same challenge can sidetrack us from destiny. When self-interest becomes a greater life, a, a greater value in your life than honoring God, you're in trouble. That's where Samson was at. He was self-deceived. And let me tell you why this is a challenge, I believe, for us today. First of all, we live in a culture, we live in a society today that wants you to believe that it's all about you. Like it's your world and everybody else is just living in your world. I mean, you should have whatever you want because what's most important is what you want. If you don't believe me, just begin to watch the commercials on television. Listen to what's happening on the radio. I mean, there's this ongoing message kind of weaved in about, well, you should have whatever you want because, again, my goodness, don't you know you're so special? So first of all, we live in a culture, I believe, that's that's inundating us with this message that it's all about you. And we take that hook, line, and sinker because here's the second problem. We are selfish, self-centered individuals. 
Maverick, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a selfish individual. Go ahead and tell him. Let's be honest in the church. Now, hopefully we're all working on this. But again, let me talk with you about the reality of our human depravity. We are selfish, self-centered individuals. I'm telling you, Satan is not my greatest challenge. I'm honest. I'm honest with you that Satan's not my greatest challenge. My greatest challenge is me. I have a tendency to be really selfish and self-centered. And if you're honest this morning, I think you probably wrestle with that as well. For example, we see it playing out. One of the places I see it playing out all the time is in the marriage relationship. We know that in God's design of marriage, there was one man to be married to one woman, two individuals who would come together, and the scripture says, and two would become one. Sounds really romantic, doesn't it? But oftentimes, what we have is we have conflict and we have friction. Why? For two to become one, that means two individuals have to die to themselves. They have to die to self so that they can truly become one. Because as long as they're two separate individuals living for themselves, they'll never be one. And it's the dying to self that creates the problem. Oftentimes when individuals make their way to my office with marriage problems, what's happening oftentimes, most of the time, is there's too much of self happening. Now that's a really general statement, but most of the time that's the problem. Somebody's getting selfish. Instead of serving, they're getting selfish. And what happens? Marriages blow up. Separation happens. Divorce happens. Self-deception. The first problem we see here with Samson is, is he was deceived by self-interest. Basically, he was saying to God, God, I'm going to go my own way and I'm going to do my own thing. Can I tell you something this morning? You'll never get to the destiny that God has for you going your own way and doing your own thing. Because when you're going your own way and doing your own thing, on your own away from God, it's going to bring you to crisis, not to destiny. Because you were created to do relationship with God. And separate from God, listen, it, it won't happen. So the first challenge for Samson is he was deceived by, by self-injury. Hey, here's the second challenge we find in Samson's life. Samson was determined to live life on his, on his own terms regardless of what it costs others. And we see this playing out. If you look on to chapter 15, there's, there's this story of, of Samson pursuing this young Philistine woman. Why? Because he, he wanted what he wanted on his terms. And if you read the story, there ends up being like the cost to the, to the woman, to the father. There ends up being the cost of lives being taken. All because Samson was saying, hey, I want life on my terms. He wanted what he wanted. He was going to do whatever it took to get what he wanted. And selfish pursuits Fueled by self-deception, not only cost him, but it cost others. We see it playing out in his story in chapter 15. And I think here's a, a second great lesson we can learn from Samson's bad example. When you're determined to live life on your own terms, demanding what you want, directly pursuing what you think you have to have, listen, it's going to cost you and it will cost others. 
I mean, Samson was a, a man with a higher call, maybe than any other deliverer in the book of Judges, but he spent his, his life doing his own thing. What started well, kind of the miracle baby, great destiny, didn't finish well. Why? He demanded life on his terms. This is what I want. This is how it's going to happen. All about me. Interesting, sometime back I had a gentleman in my office who was talking with me about the fact that he had married the wrong woman. Imagine that. Married the wrong woman. He had lived with her for 20 plus years. He had two children, grandchildren, but he had married the wrong woman. And he just found the, uh, the woman that he was really supposed to marry. And he was trying to convince me that he shouldn't have married this woman who he's been married to for 20 plus years. Again, did I mention two children and grandchildren? All of a sudden, he just discovered, oh my goodness, I made a mistake. Now I found the woman I'm really supposed to be with. And he was trying, again, he was trying to convince me of this. And I said, you're stupid. <laughs> I, I didn't say it quite like that, but that's what I was thinking. You're going to walk away from this business. You're going to walk away from this relationship. You're going to walk away and wreck the lives of your children, your grandchildren. And, and you think it's because... You, fi- you found the one you, you really love, one that you were supposed to marry. I said, what you are is you're self-deceived. I did tell him that. I said, you're deceived. This is not God's plan. This is not God's will. How can you say it's God's plan when it's the opposite of what God's Word says? I'm going to go and do my own thing because it's all about what I want. He didn't say that, but that's what was playing out. This woman excites me a little more than this woman. This has got a little boring, so I'm going to leave this to go to this. And, Pastor, I want you to tell me God's going to bless it, and I wouldn't do it. Why? He's self-deceived. Give me a break. When you begin to talk about your life being the opposite of what God's Word says and the opposite of what's revealed in God's Word, and what you've done is you've struck out on your own And you're saying, I want life on my term. And listen, you can get it, but let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to create a mess along the way. Because that's why you read Samson's story, and it is a mess. Mess. Because he was presumptuous. He was self-deceived. Thinking he could live life on his own terms. Again, he started well, but he didn't finish well. As we look on and... Samson's life, we find another challenge as it relates to self-deception. Here's the third thing. Samuel's affection, the pleasure, was stronger than his divinely given physical strength. His pleasure, his, his attraction to pleasure. How many of you know what Superman's weak point was? You've seen the movie, right? Come on. It was kryptonite, right? Superman's weak point was kryptonite. Let me tell you what Solomon's weak point was. Women. Short skirts. Couldn't stand it. Got him in trouble. Samson is like a picture for us of what happens when we have sexual passion out of control. When we begin to be ruled by our hormones... Rather than living our lives to honor God and please God, Samson is like this picture for us of what happens. 
And it's not a good picture. Not a pretty picture. Again, it doesn't end so well for Samson. I mean, if you look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, talks about how Samson went down to a Philistine town. He saw a prostitute and says, Woo! Look at her! And he went in and slept with her. Again, just out of control. No boundaries. What about honoring God with his life? What about the Nazarite vow? Basically, Samson had come to a place in his life where he said this, the hell with God, I'm going to do what I want. Now, I know some of you would never say that to God. You would never be that brazen, but you're living your life that way. I don't care what God wants. I'm going to do what I want. We find Samson in going in, sleeping with the prostitutes. And you go on down and in chapter 16, we find another troubled place in his life. And it's with another Philistine woman. Her name is Delilah. Maybe you've heard her name and heard her story. But the scripture says that Samson fell in love with Delilah. I don't know if it was love or if it was lust. The scripture might read better to say, and he was in lust with Delilah. Again, sexual passion. Out of control. I want what I want. I want my needs. My, I, I, you wouldn't believe how many times I hear this. But pastor, you know, I deserve to have my needs met. Really. Get over yourself. When did it ever become about you? Again, we're back to this mentality that the world's been feeding. Well, life's all about you. You deserve to have your needs met. I mean, if you're not happy, oh my goodness. Well, you should be happy. Again, there's this self-deception that begins to set in. And we begin to believe a lie. And we begin to live life outside of the boundaries that God is ordained. So now we're to the place where we're saying, I'm going to do what I want, not what God wants. And we wonder why we create such messes in our lives and with our lives. But here's Samson. The scripture says he fell in love with a woman by the name of Delilah. He was in lust with her. Hormones out of control. Sexual passion outside of control. How many of you know when sexual passion runs outside of control, you get stupid? It happens. How many of you know people who've got stupid? I could tell you stories, lots of stories. When hormones are outside of control and you say, I'm going to do what I want no matter what God's word says, you begin to get stupid. Your brain shuts down. And you do stupid. You act stupid. I don't say that in a derogatory way. We see it happening in Samson's story. When you read this story about Delilah, and, and she betrays him three times, and he keeps going back. It's like, wake up! What's wrong? No, don't, don't do it! But stupid's already set in. Why? His brain has shut down. Why? He's being driven by his hormones. He is a man out of control chasing a skirt. That's what it is. And he just got stupid. And it I mean, you read the story. He's in love and lust with Delilah. And the rulers of the Philistines come to Delilah and said, well, well, if you can tell us the source of Samson's strength, 
I mean, he's our arch enemy. If we know the source of his strength, we could remove that, and then he would be like any normal man, and we could rid ourselves of this arch enemy. We know, Delilah, that you have relationship with Samson. You can probably get the answer for us. You can use your body to get us what we want. We'll give you 1,100 shekels. Each of us will give you 1,100 shekels. We're going to bring a chunk of change to your house if you can find out the answer for us. What's the source of his strength? Now, I'm adding a bit to the story because this is how I think it happened. I'm a man, so I know men. Delilah comes to Samson. Oh, Samson. What is the source of your strength? You're so, oh, you're so strong. I'll have sex with you if you'll tell me the source of your strength. I think it was that kind of manipulation. And again, Samson, he done got stupid. He said, hey, here's what it is. And he tells her some crazy tale. And this happens three times. Three times he tells like some crazy tales. He says, oh, if you tie me with, with seven thongs, seven vines that have never been dried... Uh, I'll, I'll lose my strength. I'll be, as, I'll be like any common man. So while he's sleeping, she ties him up, only to cry out, the, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up, and the Scripture says he breaks these, these um, vines like they're a threat. In other words, he, ha- he hadn't told her the truth. And, and so now she's all playing pity on, oh, Samson, if you really love me, you tell me the truth. You handsome guy. I'll have sex with you if you tell me the real answer. And three times, three times she betrays him. Get this. Three times she sets him up and he's stupid. He takes the bait every time. Why? He's being ruled by his hormones. He's being driven by his sexual desires that are outside of control. And he done got stupid and it cost him. The fourth time. The fourth time. She comes to him and says, Samson, I'll have sex with you if you'll tell me this time the real answer. She's using her body to get to him. It's it's manipulation. The fourth time he tells her the real story. Tells her about the Nazarite vow, how her razors never touched his head. And so while he's sleeping, after sex, while he's sleeping, she cuts his hair off. And sure enough, one of the saddest verses of Scripture, I read it earlier. Judges 16, verse 20, says that Samson woke up and thought he would shake off the ropes as he had done before, the things that bound him as he had done before, and he didn't even know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. Is that not sad? self-deceived, pursuing what he wanted. The Scripture tells us that, that Samson's strength left him. The Spirit of the Lord left him. Why? Because the Nazarite vow was broken. So Samson becomes a slave, a prisoner to the Philistines. The Scripture tells us that they gouge out his eyes, they put bronze shackles on him, and they take him to prison. What a horrible end to a story. A 
child that was a miracle baby. Go back to chapter 13. God says, you're going to be a deliverer for my people. Listen, Samson never fully lived up to that of the destiny that God had for him. Why? I think it's a case of of self-deception. As I read Samson's story, I think Samson's greatest enemy was himself. He just kept tripping himself up. Desires out of control. He wanted what he wanted. And it cost him. Well, let, me, let me leave you with a couple lessons we can learn from Samson's life as I wrap this up. The first is this. There's, there's always going to be, there will always be a day of reckoning for self-deception. In other words, if you live your life self-deceived, there's a payday, there's a day where it's going to catch up with you. Again, we see it happening in, in Samson's life. Samson basically said, I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. And look at the mess, the mess of his life. Well, there's a day of reckoning. And so it will be in your life. If you say, God, I'm, going to, I, I'm not interested in who you are, what you're doing. I'm just going to go, I'm going to launch out on my own and do my own thing. That's a really dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous way to live. A day of reckoning. Remember the scripture in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8. Listen how the scripture reads. Do not be deceived. Maybe I could even say don't be self-deceived. God cannot be mocked. Notice the scripture says a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature. The one who says, I'm going to do whatever I want because I deserve to be happy no matter, God, what you say. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And we see it playing out in Samson's life. But the Scripture goes on to say the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And if you choose to sow to your sinful nature and be ruled by your selfish desires and live your life self-deceived, then this is what I want you to know. It'll cost you. Cost you. I mean, not only do we have the, the illustration of Samson's life, but I've watched someone really close in my own life. I have someone that I've known for a lot of years who I dearly love. And I've watched the pain happened in their own lives and the mess that they've created simply because they said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want to do. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. God, I know what you want, but that's not what I want. I'm going to go this way. And there is a day of rain. There is a price to pay. Can the scripture says you'll reap what you so, you want to sow to your selfish desires, then you're going to reap a mess in your life. Okay, and that's what we see in Samson's story. But here's a second great lesson I think we learned from Samson, and it's this. In the mess that we create in our lives, God never gives up on us. Isn't that good news? That our God is a God of second chances. 
as we choose to go on we do our own thing the good news is there's always opportunity for us to turn back to a God who loves us a God who redeems and a God who restores although Samson had totally messed up his life by pursuing his self-interest and he, he found himself a prisoner and a slave to the Philistines as you look to the end of the story God had not given up on him. In the latter part of chapter 16, this is what we see playing out. The rulers of the Philistines had gathered in this large coliseum. About 3,000 people were there. And the scripture says that they were offering high sacrifice to the false god of Dagon. And in the midst of their offering of high sacrifice and their worship of this false god, they said, hey, bring Samson out so that we can mock him. Basically, they were saying, bring Samson out so that we can say our God, Dagon, is greater than Samson's God because we've conquered him. Therefore, Dagon must be greater than his God. That's what was happening. In the midst of this pagan revelry, Samson's on stage as the entertainer. And he prays this prayer. It's found in verse 28 of chapter 16. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. We read the story. They had placed his hands on the two supporting columns of the whole Colosseum. And again, God came upon Samson. Supernatural strength. He pushed pillars away. Colosseum comes crashing down. It was the end of Samson's life, but it was also the end of the Philistine rulers, the 3,000 people. What do we see? We see in the end, as Samson turns back to God, we see God's redemptive work. We see God's restoration, even in the mess that he had made of his life. What I love about this is, is God never gave up on him. So Samson said, I'm going to go my own way. This is what I want. I know it's opposite, God, of what you want, but this is what I want. Even in the midst of that, God never turned away from him. And hear me, he's not turned away from you. Possibly, you can identify with Samson this morning where you've said, hey, I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. And it's not working out so well for you. Or possibly there was a there was a place of self-deceit when you said, hey, I'm going to do this and it was the opposite of God's word and it's taking you down a wrong road to a wrong destination. Hear me, friend. God's not giving up on you. He's a God who loves and forgives. Now, He is a God who's given you a free will. With that free will, you can choose to walk away from God. With that free will, you can choose to return to God. And as you choose to return to God, what do you find? You find a God who redeems and restores the messes of our lives. But here's the reality. We can be self-deceived. I know oftentimes, oftentimes, as your pastor, this may shock you, but oftentimes I find myself repenting for self-deceived selfishness every once in a while there's some ugly that shows up in my life and it's not the devil's problem it's feral I get selfish 
I get self-centered. Everyone's, I just kind of like to, I'm just tennis of wanting to go my own way, and I, and, I, and I have to repent and come back. There has to be that, that, that turning point back to God, maybe. Maybe that's true in your own life. This is what I know. Self-deceit being self-deceived can restrict that of God's destiny, God's plan in your life and for your life. It did for Samson. And it can in your life. What do you need? You need repentance. Sin repentance is good for the soul. Those defining turning points where we turn back to a God who loves us outrageously. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for this story of a, of a bad example, Lord. There's so much we can learn from Samson's life. I can't know it's a bad example. But oftentimes, what we see playing out in Samson's life, we see in our own lives. Lord, I thank you that you're gracious and forgiving. That you're a God of second chances. That you're a God even in the midst of times when we've been deceived by our own self. chosen to go our own way and we've been rebellious you don't just give up on us, no you're waiting for us to turn back to you and for that we're grateful with every head bowed and eye closed this morning possibly, possibly you're here today and you, could, you would just be honest enough to say and this is a big one and I'm a challenge being vulnerable here this morning, but you would say, well, I can identify with Samson. Some areas in my life where I've been deceived by my own self. I, I want to own that this morning. Areas in my life where I've chosen to go my own way instead of God's way. Kind of made a mess of things. And here's the good news. Our God is a God who redeems and restores. That's what we see from Genesis to Revelation. He's not giving up on you. But there needs to be a point of repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is making a turn and coming back. Repentance is nailing a defining point down where we say, I'm no longer going to go down that path of of self-pursuit. I'm turning back to a God who loves me. If that's you this morning, I just want to take a quick minute to pray with you. Because what do you need? You you need repentance. You need a turning point. Is there anyone who would just say, hey, that's me. That's me, Pastor. I'm honest enough today to realize this is where I'm at. This change I need to make. Is there anyone? pray for those who would just say this morning while I see some Samson in my own life. But I pray for them and I pray for all the others in the room who are in that place but not courageous enough to identify it. But I pray that they would come to their senses to see the reality of what's happening in their lives. 
instead of running from you, God, may they run to you. Lord, for those who would just say, hey, that's where I'm at. Lord, what I know is repentance is good for the soul. Coming to those places where we see it for what it is and turn away from it, turning back to you is good for the soul. Lord, I thank you that you're always, God, you're always gracious. You're always forgiving. Lord, for these individuals, may this be a defining point in their lives where they say, no, I'm, I'm not going down that road. I'm not living that way. I'm not going to continue to live my life in that way. I'm, today, I'm, I'm turning back to a God who loves me. God, may we live our lives. Holy Spirit, help us to live our lives self-aware not self deceived. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.